0: Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz-Gund. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, um, Ashra from Autistic Thrifter on Instagram and also AutisticThrifter.org. Welcome, Ashra. Hi,
1: thank you for having me. Yeah,
0: of course. Thank you for coming on. Um, So the first question I have today is, For you is tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh what are like some of your main special interests as an autistic person.
1: Sure. Um so a little bit about me is I'm 25 years old. I was diagnosed autistic at 25, so it was only a couple of months ago. Um I love cats. I really love perfume and fragrances. That's kind of a more recent special interest of mine that's been occupying a lot of my time and a lot of my money, which is not that good, but, um, yeah, I really love talking about perfumes and fragrances. Um, and then my other main special interest is autism. So that was the first like really, really big special interest that obviously got me to realize that I was autistic. Um, because I, I got really interested in learning about autism about non-typical presentations of autism and that's when I realized that I seemed to really fit a lot of those descriptions and um, it was yeah a huge special interest for several years and that was kind of um, at the same time as my self-diagnosis journey so yeah I, I think my main special interests are still probably autism and then fragrances are a huge one I also really love cats and then Another thing that I don't know if it's a special interest, but it's definitely, like, a comfort thing is the, sh- the television show Girls by Lena Dunham, and that's my favorite show, and I've watched it so many times I could practically, like, <laughs> recite it. But that's another
0: thing. Cool. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I think that's... It's, it's cool that you mentioned autism as a special interest as well, um, because... I I feel like it's also become a special interest of mine and like even even though like I did get diagnosed a little bit or it was still relatively late it was I was 16 but um and so now it's been quite a while it's been over 10 years but I didn't really uh pay I didn't um I re- didn't really start, uh, researching about autism until recently, like, the last couple years, um, because, you know, I always felt it that, um, because, like, no one else really talked openly about it, and I didn't, like, I remember I didn't talk a lot about it either, and and then it was like when I started researching more and more and especially like reading from other advocates as well, it really, um, I feel like it became a special interest for me as well. And yeah, it's it's funny how like our brain, I, I just really like that about um, how my brain works. And, and of course, I've had a lot of other special interests like weather and aviation, but it's funny how... We both share that about autism being a special interest. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that is funny. And I know a couple of other um, autistic people who, spe- one of their special interests is autism as well. And I think it's like, I think part of the reason why it was a special interest for me is because um, I think it has helped me to learn so much about myself. And I think that. I, I don't know, I guess I've always been a very reflective person because I felt so, like such an outsider for such a long time, and so I think that's why I really got into it because it felt like the first time in my whole life that I was, like, putting together the pieces of why I always felt that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. For me, too, absolutely. Um, that's a huge reason of what why I got so into it is, like, I would see all these things... Um, it's about experiences and such particularly around masking about so many other autistic people talking about their experiences with masking and and then it was like realizing that it was because I had always internalized it to think that it was just me that it was only something that I felt like I had to do like why I I was and that was a huge a benefit of connecting with other autistics was realizing that oh my gosh there's so many other people that experience the same thing that we it's like we speak a different language and it's really hard to understand the neurotypical language and yeah and and then just oh my god so so this is what like this is why i have such strong special interests this is why I've, I've always struggled with social communication. Like, all of these different things. St- masking, particularly, math, It just started making so much sense. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so I, I certainly relate a lot to that. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was... I know that um, you mentioned previously that you have OCD as well. And I was wondering a little bit about, like, the your OCD experience and, like, how, how that came about, how you discovered that you had OCD and also how it compares to your autistic experience.
1: Yeah, so, I think I I actually realized that I had OCD much earlier, like, way before than I, way before I learned about autism um, and I th- I think the main way that I realized I had OCD is because I, I learned that the thoughts that I had were not um, like typical. So a lot of the things that I do, like a lot of my behaviors are rooted in an irrational fear that something bad will happen if I don't do it. Um, so for example, like this, this is a pretty extreme one. <laughs> But sometimes if I'm cooking, I will have a thought that, like, if I don't touch the hot pan, that, like, my mom's going to fall down the stairs. Or if I don't touch the hot pan, uh, like, something very bad is going to happen to someone in my family, things like that. And so it's really hard because it's like my brain's telling me to do something bad that I know I shouldn't do. Um, and so that's kind of the, the main way that OCD shows up for me, also with, Um, like, feeling uneven, like, it just is, like, constant that I'm feeling, like, my body, like, I need to, like, touch things to even things out, and that's something that I always, always experienced, so I did know, like, when I started learning about OCD, because I'm I'm a psychology student, so I learned about it in different courses, and I was like, okay, for sure I have, I experienced that, Um, but then, When I started learning about autism, I realized that a lot of the things that I was attributing to OCD were actually autism related. So my need for things to be the same, I thought that was OCD, but a lot of my need for things to be the same are not rooted in an an irrational belief or fear. They're just because I need that to regulate myself. I need sameness to regulate and to function in my life. And so I realized that those weren't OCD things, those are autism things. So when I went in for my autism assessment, I was very nervous that the assessor was not going to diagnose my autism, but was only going to see the OCD. Mm -hmm. Because I do know some people um, who have been diagnosed with OCD and then later in life with autism, because at first the assessor only noticed the OCD. Yeah. Because there is overlap, it can look really similar. Mm Um so I kind of downplayed the OCD in my assessment because I was a little nervous about her only catching on to that. Um, but she she found evidence for both. She she said mm-hmm. like there is definitely strong enough evidence for both OCD and autism. Yeah.
0: That's good that you were able to to get the diagnosis and because I I feel like um it does provide kind of a, a at least for me it being able to like having that diagnosis provides uh, a kind of a validation, you know. I'm sure it was uh, like that for you as well, because um, even though I, I mean, this goes back to like <clears throat> thinking like before I had my autism diagnosis as well, but I actually recently just also got an ADHD diagnosis. Um, this year, and that was, I mean, that was a lot more recent, of course, but I'm still in that stage of, like, going back and reflecting on certain moments of my life, and and realizing, like, oh my god, that's why I struggled so much with executive functioning in these moments, like, especially at school and stuff, and then, like, that's why I've always had the hyper-focus, and I've always had the flip and flop in between executive functioning and hyperfocus. Uh, And I never realized, like, I always kind of thought, I think there was a long time, like, even after I got my autism diagnosis, that I never really even linked it with the autism or with anything, that I just always thought it was, like, just something that I did. And then I started, like, I, I started reading about, like, a or not a lot of other autistics experiencing it as well, and then I started relating it to the autism, like, oh, it must be part of, like, the autism, but it never really fully made sense to me that it would be... Because I just felt, like, autism, for me, and I think the way it is in the DSM, it's also more, like social, um, communication, uh, sensory, um, sensitivities, speech, and, um, impediments or, uh, delays, um, because I had speech delays when I was younger, um, and, but I never, so I was like, how does the hyperactivity and the executive functioning, I couldn't, like, I started attributing it to autism, but then I was like, no, it doesn't really make, it doesn't feel like it's autism, it feels like it's something else that's combining with autism, and I also feel like I didn't know a lot about ADHD until until very recently, because there's also not enough discussion on ADHD, and there's a lot of stigma on ADHD. Um, so So then I realized, oh, this is what ADHD is essentially, it's not necessarily only a deficit of attention it's um it's a difficulty in regulating hyperactivity and attention and then when i start seeing it from that hyperactivity and attention and executive functioning and i start seeing it that way and then it's like oh that makes so much sense that's why i have the flip and flop and So, so like, knowing that so many other autistics have ADHD. And then my dad also was diagnosed just a few years ago with ADHD. And then it just started making so much sense. I was like, of course. And it was, like... I actually... My therapist told me once that... When I was talking to her about, like, how I just discovered I had ADHD and everything. And she was telling me that a lot of... um. So it's interesting because my autism diagnosis I actually got it in Brazil because my mom I was living in Brazil at the time my mom's family is from Brazil but I don't know if that's what it was like how they were doing it there or that's what happened with me but my therapist here said that a lot of practitioners here it will happen because there's a lot of there can be a lot of overlap or at least some overlap of traits with ADHD and autism. If they diagnose you with one, they won't bother diagnosing you with the other one. Um, I see. And, and I think that it does essentially, I mean, maybe for some people it doesn't matter if they have one diagnosis, but I don't know for me, I think it would have made a difference to have an ADHD diagnosis earlier, Um, but anyways, um, that's uh, I wanna. Moving on to the next question, Um, what
1: has? Can you hear that dog?
0: Oh, I can hear it now. Yeah.
1: I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I've.
0: um,
1: Okay, I think it stopped
0: yeah wow. uh, <laughs> so loud. what has it been what has it been like disclosing your neurodivergence to your friends and family?
1: Um, well so uh, when I was self-diagnosed it was not good. Um, no one believed me and it was really really frustrating because I would try so hard to explain myself and at least just hope that they would be open to it. But people, my friends and family immediately just were like, that's not, that's like silly for you to think that that's not true. That's obviously not the case. And it was very frustrating because it was set, you know, months and months and months of that, of people not believing me. Um, And I even had people tell me that they were like 100% positive that it was not true. And so that was really upsetting and really frustrating. And then it felt really good when I finally got diagnosed professionally, because then I I was like, all right, here is the proof. Now, now do you believe me? And then after that, people definitely started to believe me, but we're still dismissive in a different way. Um, Mm. Like, believing, like, okay, so you are autistic, but you're really, quote-unquote, high-functioning, or you're really, you know, not that far on the spectrum. All of these things that people say that they think are compliments, but they're not, they're dismissive and invalidating, yeah. and, you know, that's kind of the thing I struggle with the most now. But, yeah, telling friends and family initially was not great, Um They've gotten much more accepting and have much more awareness about it now and uh, most of my friends and family are much better about it now much more accommodating and uh, more considerate like i I think I'm also more comfortable being vocal about things that bother me now um, like in the past my my family is very loud and very um, high energy. And so in the past, I would kind of like dissociate during those moments and be really quiet. So they always kind of thought of me as the very quiet, well behaved person. But really, it's just because I like wasn't really present. And now I'm much more comfortable removing myself from those situations or just telling them you're being really loud for me right now, I'm going to put my headphones on. And so I'm more comfortable doing that. And they are much more supportive and understanding of it now. Um, but my boyfriend, he's really always been very supportive and accommodating for me. And although, you know, in the beginning when I was self-diagnosed initially, he didn't understand it, but as soon as I explained it, he's really the only person that did Mm -hmm. validate me and he was there for me throughout the whole process. Um, and then the other really important person was my therapist, who I don't see anymore, sadly, because I don't have, um, I, my insurance stopped, so I couldn't continue seeing that therapist. But that therapist was the person that I first told my self-diagnosis to, the first person outside of, like, my boyfriend and my very close friends. And she was really helpful because When I was in the process of self-diagnosis, I was very flip-floppy, so I was like, one moment I was really sure of it, and then the next I was like, oh, well, I don't have very, you know, I don't have stereotypical meltdowns, so I think maybe I'm not autistic, and she helped me through that process because she would help me think about it in a different way. Like, I told her when I was little, I didn't have meltdowns that I, like, you know, that I thought most autistic people had. Um, and she told me well maybe you just had them in a different way like maybe instead of having more external meltdowns maybe you internalized it Mm -hmm. and i realized oh yeah that that is true that that is what i did so she was really helpful to me throughout that whole process
0: yeah that's i'm that's really good that you were able to get that validation not only from your your boyfriend but from your therapist as well and then that eventually despite the pushback from your family and friends originally that sounds like they were able to eventually understand um, was there like a certain resource that you shared with them or was there like a certain conversation like what led what would you say led to that shift in from them being more accept to them being more accepting and understanding from the place of like skepticism in the beginning
1: yeah I think honestly the thing that really changed it uh was the professional diagnosis so um unfortunately people just were not really willing to accept my self-diagnosis um and so when I got professionally diagnosed they took that as meaning something much more than my self-diagnosis Uh, which is unfortunate and really stinks that that's what it took. But, um, yeah, when I told friends and family about the professional diagnosis, they were much more willing to accept it. Um, I think also what probably helped is um, I follow so many autistic content creators and I love learning through other people's experiences that way because it feels like a very real and raw thing. Um, Even though I know, I know social media, like you can't always trust what you see on social media and things like that. But I think there's so much value to the people that are willing to share personal information and and things like that um, online. And so I learned so much through other autistic content creators. And I would share videos where people talked about their experiences with being later diagnosed with not presenting in a very stereotypical way and i would share those things with friends and family and they would then see like oh that that does sound like you or there's a lot more to you that you've been hiding and Mm -hmm. i didn't see it and now that you're telling me i understand so things like that
0: ah yeah that's i think that's a very good way of getting them to understand for sure like to see that there are a lot of other people with the same kind of high masking experience um i think masking is something that um really kind of turns on the light bulb for neurotypicals for a lot of neurotypicals like when you talk when you get that kind of pushback because i've had this a lot as well where i'm called high functioning or I'm told that my autism is, quote, mild. (laughs) It's like, because people think of it, like, as a linear spectrum. They don't understand that spectrum is a pizza wheel. It's not, it's not linear. Um, But, and it's fine, like, I ended up, like, when I was much younger, I I thought of it that way, too, because it's the way I was told. Um, But they say these things, like, they call it mild, and then, like it, it had like when I send them, and I think um, like I would send them an article about masking, or I would talk about masking, and then that really gets them to understand. I feel like, um, so yeah, that's um, uh, what are what would you say are some of the most common microaggressions that you experience as an autistic woman?
1: Honestly, I, I think the, the worst thing that I experienced, and I'm very privileged to say that this is the worst thing, um, but it still stinks, is when I tell people I'm autistic and they just say things that are just so frustrating. Like, this happened, like, two days ago. It happened on Tuesday. I met this person on campus, and we were in the same lab thing and I told her that I'm autistic and she said, oh my God, I'm so sorry to hear that you don't look autistic at all. And it's just so tiring because it's like, I don't, I don't even have the energy to respond to that anymore because it happens so much. I just don't have the energy to explain. I just like, don't even really respond i'm just like oh okay because it's just so tiring at this point and it's like it's just so sorry that dog is barking again
0: it's don't worry about um, it yeah.
1: it's just it, like so invalidating because it makes me feel like they they're trying to tell me that i'm not like autistic enough
0: it's because yeah they have like I I can certainly relate I've experienced that. It's very frustrating. It's like they they literally think that they're they're complimenting you by by saying because and that just shows how deep their ableism is that they they're like, "Oh no, like you cuz they they think of autism as some sort of disease, like as that, and and they think that you, like that, it's a compliment to like not associate. It's just, yeah, um, it's very frustrating, and and that's what's, I think that's part of what's um propelled me into neurodiversity advocacy and awareness and education, and like it's funny. Um, my Instagram page, my personal Instagram page, up until a year ago or so, it used to be um just uh, mostly photos, and you know I, and then I think in the last year, year and a half or so, it's really transitioned, and it's like every once in a while it'll be a photo of something, but it's just a lot of neurodiversity education stuff and and neurodiversity stuff and and then I'm I've been more and more like unapologetically just posting more neurodiversity stuff because I realize how much neurodiversity education and awareness is still needed um it's so needed and people don't understand like I still it gets frustrating I have to kind of I have certain neurotypical friends that I have to kind of Sometimes I just take a break from talking to them because they just don't really understand my experiences, and I try to like talk about this stuff, and I think they don't understand how deep it is. How it's like, yeah. Um.
1: I I totally get it, and it's it is so it's so frustrating because it feels like I'm not taken seriously too. Sometimes, like even even with you know, people that are close to me in my life that know about me being autistic and they know about the things I struggle with, sometimes I will need alone time or I will you know, be really overwhelmed and overstimulated and people still don't respect that. Like when I vocalize that and when I tell them I need a break or I need to be away, I need to be alone, sometimes people still don't respect that and it's really, really frustrating and I... It, yeah, all neurodiversity awareness, acceptance, and education is extremely needed. I, um, I, I guess I don't want to disclose the university that I work at, but it, it's definitely like a, it's a very well-known um, top university, and one of the professors told me that they think it's. Cr- crazy that i was diagnosed autistic and they think it's a self-fulfilling prophecy and that since i was diagnosed now i'm going to be limited because of my diagnosis and i'm going to start behaving more autistically and have more struggles because of my diagnosis and they think that i would be much better off without it
0: um wow so like and, as if your diagnosis defined your mm-hmm. like having it or not were to de- I don't understand. My God, it drives me crazy. Like, wow. Yeah,
1: and it's, it's just, I was like, I mean, I was really sad to hear that, but I wasn't surprised because that's just the level of awareness people have. They just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, and it's especially frustrating because it feels like such a success of my self-reflection to have been able to discover That I'm autistic despite, you know, masking and despite not presenting in a highly typical way. Like, it it felt like such a success that I figured it out and that I, like, went through so much work to be on the wait list for a diagnosis and go through the assessment, which was really nerve-wracking and, like, anxiety-inducing. And I did it and I, like, figured it out. And then for people to just dismiss it is so so upsetting that's
0: that's, that's very frustrating yeah um well i'm sorry that you've had to to deal with that especially like from someone with with like your professor um and i mean i've certainly had my fair share of disappointing um disappointing ableism out there like with with professionals like i um I remember mentioning this briefly in uh, one of your support groups last or no, two days ago um, about, and of course I've mentioned it on the podcast as well. So some people probably already heard this, but about how I, you know, I'm an actor and I used to have, um, well, the talent agent that I was working with, um, she said this horrible thing. Well, uh, this horrible thing about, Based on me not having a neurotypical enough presentation in a slate video, which is based not even related to the audition that I was doing, she said that based on that, even what blows my mind is the fact is she said that the audition was good. So, but it it made it clear, it made it clear to me that in this industry, like many other industries. It doesn't even matter, like, there's so many job interview situations where they, like, there's these hidden questions, and it's about, like, like, the same way job interviews, it's, it's about, like, if you're social enough, or if you're neurotypical enough, I, I've, I really, you know, I thought, it was really saddening, actually, because, like, I thought that the acting industry would be more inclusive, and then I'm like, oh my god, it's the same kind of thing, like, this Slate video, is like a neurotypical interview trap. Um, It's the same thing. And then she literally told me in an email, essentially to my face, that it looked like I had no fun in life, or it would be no fun to have on set. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness. Like, you don't like she doesn't And she knew, and the the worst of it all is that she knows I'm autistic. I told her on the first phone call that I had with her before I started working with her, I told her I was autistic. And I should have... There was like a yellow flag during that first conversation with her that thinking back, I should have realized. I'm like, oh, wow. Because she said something like... She said that her, her former... Son-in-law was autistic, and so it wouldn't be a problem. I'm and I'm sorry. like, um, okay, why? Like, I'm just thinking to myself, why would it be a problem?
1: Yeah. <laughs> what?
0: What's you see? It's like,
1: oh my god. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. You yeah.
0: know that
1: that's just horrible.
0: Thank you. I I'm I'm glad that I was able to you know that I eventually I did cut ties with her and just. Um, recognize that, yeah, I don't need to work, I don't want to work with someone that's like that. Um, I I won't, uh, yeah, Um, it, and then, you know, it did propel me to really speak out about the, the issue with the ableism in the industry as well. Um, And just, and then it's also come, you know, it's, It's still it's still hard because now there's another side of it. Like I know that there are a lot of people that are that do understand and will will agree with me, particularly other neurodivergent people. But it's still one of those things, you know. Like I I wrote those this huge letter about it, um, about the issue, and one of the neurotypical friends that I shared it with, he basically interprets it like he just totally misinterprets it because he's talking about and he's like oh because it's hard for everyone because he's like I'm like it's this is it's it's not about and then he said something like oh it that it it feels like I'm saying that only autistic people deserve jobs and I'm like I never said that. I, I'm i saying that we deserve equal opportunity. Not... I'm just like... And he doesn't understand that it's like... And maybe because he know, Maybe the only autistic person he knows is me. And maybe he's seen me in a, a high-masking state. And he's never really seen me... I don't think anyone outside of the immediate family ends up seeing me in a totally unmasked state. Because I... I feel like I never feel safe enough to like not be masking when I'm out and about. So it's so frustrating because it's like we can't like he thinks I can just even if he thought that like that I could just mask and and do like I shouldn't have to mask. Like that's the whole it drives me crazy because so like. The whole thing with like microaggressions and and friends not understanding i I certainly relate to, to it sounds like a lot of us a lot of us have those kind of experiences,
1: yeah, yeah, and it's like um it's it is just it's so frustrating and disappointing it's like you try to explain it and it's so frustrating. Like when I talk about masking to neurotypical people, they're like, Oh, everyone does that. And I'm like, Mm. no, it's not Mm. the same thing. It's not the same thing. And they just, it's just very hard to express it. I guess. I don't know. People just don't get it. And it's just little things too. Like I'll try my hardest to unmask because it's so hard to feel comfortable. And then little things will happen that just make it so that I just can't unmask. Like one time I was, I was feeling really comfortable around, it was my boyfriend and then one other person was there and, and I usually only feel comfortable, fully comfortable around him. But in that moment I felt like safe and I felt like I could be myself. And so I stopped hyper monitoring myself for like a minute and the person caught on to something. Like I I was making a face that didn't match what I was saying and they pointed that out. And from that moment on, I can't unmask it on them now. I just can't. It, my I have like a mental block now.
0: No. Just look things
1: like that all the time.
0: That's just I I I that's one one thing that I it's really discouraging, like, it's, I feel that a lot, too, like, you, like, it takes so much, and people don't understand, like, even neurotypical family members of mine, like, I, it takes so much work to feel confident and feel safe, and then you finally feel safe, and then they, they like make you feel ridiculed. They like, they don't even realize, but they're like making you feel invalid, making you feel like you can't be your true self. And wow. Um, yeah, that must have been really, really frustrating. And um, I can just, I feel that because I, I, i relate to those experiences as well um one a more positive my next question is is more a lot more positive uh what what are what are some examples of accommodations or even just little things from others that go a long way from you for you
1: um some, some accommodations i use every day are my noise cancelling headphones i wear them for a pretty significant portion of the day usually Um, I would say probably, like, definitely for several hours. Um, And then I always have stim toys, like this one right now. Um, I use them pretty much, like, all day also. Because if I don't use them, then I will tear up my fingers. Mm. Like, they will be bleeding. And so I really am trying not to do that. So I'm using stim toys very frequently. Um, Other accommodations are... I would say well, little things that people do that make me feel really good are just being being like nice about the things that I struggle with. Like, um, for example, sometimes if I'm with my boyfriend and we're taking a walk, I won't be able to be having a conversation at the same time because it's overstimulating to be walking and talking and like hearing everything around me. So I'll say that I can't talk right now but we can just walk together and then that's fine um so people just being accepting and open to things like that and just being generally supportive like um just taking time to be a little bit more considerate about sensitivities that I have um like even just my best friend if she's home and she's in the kitchen maybe cooking and she has like a podcast on or music on she'll ask me if it's too loud or if she would prefer Mm. that i wears headphones or things like that just small things that are considerate of the sensitivities that i have
0: yeah i think that can go a long way for sure i mean i think for me too like when people when people ask without me having to ask when people ask like oh is this too loud is this too overstimulating is this too bright or like would it be better for us to not talk right now it's just like little things like you were saying like that's what I really appreciate it's like and that that shows that they've done a lot of work and it shows that they've done that they really care about understanding us and our preferences like that like because then i don't even have to say anything like it gets frustrating when it's with people when it's like when there's a person you have to keep explaining to them over and over but then when they just get it and then that that's like that must feel really good for sure um for i know it does for me so it must
1: does it definitely does because it like you said it shows that they have really taken the time to like think about you and i think that's so nice and um it also like when when i have to keep asking it makes me feel guilty about it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah me too yeah because then yeah it's just uh one um My next question for you today is, how do you cope with burnouts, meltdowns, and shutdowns?
1: It's pretty hard. Um, With shutdowns, shutdowns are the thing that I experience the most frequently, Um, usually a few times a week. And I would say the way I cope with shutdowns is I usually need to get to some place very quiet. It's usually just my bedroom. I go on my bed, and I'll like put a bunch of things over my head, like a blanket, stuffed animals, sweatshirt, so that it's very quiet and dark. And I just have to lay there for a while until, it, until I start to feel better. Um, but shutdowns are definitely hard if I'm around other people because the main thing that I experience during a shutdown is it, it just feels like like there's so much happening in my head, like I'm getting so much information that I cannot focus on anything and the most scary thing that happens, I, I interpreted as scare. I used to interpret it as scary, but I understand it now, so it's not as scary. But like losing the ability to speak the way I normally can, mm-hmm. um, I used to really get nervous about that because if I was scared that I would never like get the ability to speak back, because in that moment it feels like it's gone forever. Um, but I know now that if I just wait, it will be, I'll be okay and it'll come back. Um, but yeah, usually just going to a very quiet place where I can be alone, where it's dark and pressure on my head helps a lot. Um, with Mm. burnout, I think the main things that help me is just comfort surrounding myself with things that make me comfortable that regulate me. So like, um, like usually just like staying home, eating things that are very safe and comforting to me and watching things like the show Girls is very, very comforting to me. So watching that, um, there was a period of time uh, like about a year ago where I wasn't really working much at all because I was in burnout and I would just watch Girls for like hours every day. Like I would go through the entire thing, which I think it's nine seasons in like one week. Yeah. and i would just do that every single week on a repeat until and then eventually i i was out of burnout and so um, it worked i guess yeah
0: i think you know um uh, of course when when able like being able to recognize that we're in burnout and like understand what we need i think even just knowing what we need uh makes a huge difference because like I used to like I feel like I approach burnout differently now and I have a lot more um I guess what I mean is having grace with my just understanding you know like patience with myself and like being kind to myself because I understand that I'm in burnout I'm not just like being unproductive or being lazy or whatever because that's what I would get like I feel like a lot of us get told by society when we're in burnout because they don't understand what burnout is and it's like it's not about not wanting to do something or just procrastinating it's about not being able not literally not having enough energy or enough dopamine to, to be able to do things and actually feeling bad. Like, I would feel bad a lot and now i I'm been better at not feeling bad about when I'm in burnout and when I just need to, like, rest and, and not communicate, not, you know, ha- deal with other things or not make myself deal with other things or, like, other people, like, I just remember that earlier you were talking about um how there are people that don't understand when you're when you're in a shutdown or when you're in burnout that you can't communicate and they take it personally because I've I've had that happen as well and it can be very frustrating so I think that's a um I think that was a a big helpful thing for me it's like recognizing that i'm in burnout like understanding that being patient with myself and understanding but then also being able to set boundaries and being able to be like i'm in burnout and if this person doesn't understand it's their problem
1: Mm -hmm. definitely I, i relate to that as well um and i think that's why uh like being diagnosed has helped me so much because it has let me become so much more accepting of those types of things like the things that I used to get angry at myself about or things that I used to talk like have negative self-talk about it's made me so much more accepting because now I understand where the struggle is coming from and I you know like I I understand it and so I can be way nicer to myself about it
0: yeah yeah see that's I feel like that's that's huge for sure um my next question i just have two more questions um my next question is what led or inspired you to start your business and support groups for other autistic people
1: i think what what made me want to start it is just that i really wanted to join an autism support group like i wanted to meet other autistic people and be able to talk with them and like learn from each other and share about our experiences because I felt very alone in being autistic. Like I felt like I could not find anyone who understood or could relate or, you know, could help me. Um, and I spent so long trying to find a group or find something, um, and I couldn't find anything. And so then, um, I was actually talking to my stepdad and he was like, well, why don't you start one? So then I was like, yeah, I guess I should. I could try that. So um, I started that a few months ago, like was when I first started thinking about it. And uh, now it's been going really well. Last week was the first week, <laughs> or no, this week. It's actually earlier today I had in the group and it's, it was really good. And it's been really, really connecting and validating to see that there are so many other people that experience things similarly to me and it's like a real thing that people want to talk about and connect with each other about. And I'm really grateful that I've been able to do it and that people uh, like you have been wanting to join. It means so much to Mm me. Um, Yeah. I I think the main inspiration was just the lack of being able to find any support.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. Like I, so I, I was part of the, I mean, just the listen for the listeners. Uh, I was part of Ashra's group on Wednesday this week, and I really enjoyed it, and it was a really great uh, validating experience. Um, you know, knowing uh, like Ashra just said about the, that, there's so many other people with similar experiences, and and that see the world in in a, a very similar way. And that have these same kind of uh, issues with neurotypicals, and particularly with neurotypicals not understanding us. And it's just a whole—it's a great feeling. And it was—it was. I'm really glad that your—you um, said it was your stepdad that gave you that. I'm sorry. Oh my God. Um. I yes, your stepdad. I'm really glad that your stepdad um gave you that idea because um i mean that you that it all worked out that uh, you know that you had been thinking about this and then he gave you that idea um because i i feel like it's 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 going to help i mean i'm sure it's already helping a lot of people but i think it will continue to help a lot of people because it's so needed and it's um you know i was also looking i remember last year when i first started getting you know, more into like um embracing my neurodiversity and reading more and more about neurodiversity, I remember looking into autistic meetup groups um in the Bay Area and I was I was I had been being in the Bay Area, like I was certain that, you know, at the time, right, I was like, okay, I'll I'll probably find something, right? Because there was this one meetup group that I had gone to many years ago, but um, I actually reached out to the organizer, and I don't know if they're still around, because I reached out and I never heard back, and then I looked, I was like, okay, I'll Google and see if I can find anything else, and um, and I couldn't, Everything everything that I found was like an Autism Speaks or Autism Society, like one of these... Neurotypical led pathologizing organizations, and it was like it's fine. It's like, no, it's like there's almost nothing out there for autistic adults. It's like autism disappears, like after your child. It's like you they because it's this disease mentality, it's crazy. It's like they think it's some kind of disease that you have when you're a child, and then you don't, and so there's like nothing. Not only is it, like, it's, like, you you don't find much for autistic people in general. You don't, especially autistic adults. And it's all, like, these, like, family, it's, like, these support groups for autistic parents and, like, oh, my God, like, how hard it is to, like, basically, like, they're... <laughs> Just, you know, oh my god, how hard it is to raise my autistic child, like, the burden, of right? like, it, this yeah. whole burden, tragedy mentality. Like, someone actually, an assistant for, like, um, some kind of stem cell researcher, pathologist guy, uh, he so her his assistant emailed me uh, asking to be on my podcast and I'm really it I I, I don't know if they've actually listened to my podcast because it, it because it's I read I read their bio like the information she was telling me and it's basically about them doing uh, like well first she she used like the language was like I heard, suffering from autism like to help oh my god, uh, stem cell research to help those suffering with autism, and Dr. So-and-so was able to help her autistic child, and I'm like, oh my goodness, like, this kind of stuff, like, I don't think I'm even gonna respond to that, because I'm like, I don't even think it's worth it,
1: yeah, I've had um some brands reach out to me to try and partner and it's like that stem cell stuff again and I'm like what makes you think I want that like I don't want that I just yeah.
0: need it it's I, I almost thought like i might just send something like you know i don't we need just kind of a, like a disclaimer to this person like we Where no one is suffering, I'm not suffering from my autism, I'm suffering from the lack of support and accommodations, by the way, (laughs) just to this person, because I'm like, it blows my mind. Um, Especially that, like, they're, they're asking to be on my podcast, and I'm like, do you even understand, like, does this person even understand what my podcast is about? And this is very, yeah, very perplexing. Um uh my final question for you today, because I know we're at about one hour, um, what would you say have been some of the best things about connecting with other autistics on? I mean you might have already partially answered this, but uh the best thing about connecting with other autistics online and realizing that there's so many out of of us out of there I think um
1: honestly, the best thing is just that it feels so much more comfortable to talk to other autistic people than to talk to neurotypical people. And I know maybe that sounds like not nice or not nice towards neurotypical people. or I don't know. I hope not. But I just, it just feels so much easier to talk to other autistic people. Like, so, so much easier. Like, there's just this level of understanding that there isn't, that isn't there when I'm speaking to neurotypical people. Like, even just, you know, here right now, I feel so much, like, more comfortable, more at ease, and when I feel that way, it feels like I can speak much more naturally to you because, like, there is not a judgment, like, I know you're not going to be judging if I'm not looking at you, if I'm, you know, like, doing something unusual with my face or anything like that, I know that if I'm talking to another autistic person, they're probably going to get it and not like point it out and make me feel weird for it.
0: Exactly. So
1: yeah, Yeah. it just feels really good to know that there is other people that experience things similar to me and that I can talk to and not feel judged by. Um, And it's just really comforting and makes me really hopeful and optimistic for uh, this like future of the autistic community and also my future, like establishing yeah. relationships with people and making more friendships.
0: Yeah, me, me as well. Um, it's been really great talking to you today and it's, you know, I, I feel the same way, like, and I, I feel this with other autistics as well, that we can understand each other and relate to each other's experiences a lot more. And more importantly of all, like you said, being non-judgmental towards each other because we get like we we just i feel like so many neurotypicals are so nudged uh, so judgmental you know and it's like that's why and i think they don't understand like when we get frustrated with neurotypicals it's like there's a reason like we feel it's not like because it's like us against them it's because we feel like a lot of times we can't be ourselves with them because it's like we feel constantly judged and and it's like the whole thing that you were saying with masking it's like i felt that so many times like the um i call it the casual loop of ableism it's like either you're not masking and you're and and you're being weird and they're like why are you like this and then or you're like i'm autistic and then it's like but you don't look autistic so it's yeah, like you can't win. Yeah. You can't win. It's like yeah. Uh but you know, it does make me hopeful as well. Like you said, you know, having resources um such as your Instagram and your website and I'll I'll be linking those below as well. Um and, you know, your support groups like I've I've already signed up for for the support group next week, uh on oh, Wednesday. Really awesome, yeah.
1: thank you so much. Yeah,
0: I, I really enjoy it, you know. It's uh and I think it's it's definitely needed in, in the community for sure. Um so without further ado, uh thank you everyone for listening. Uh I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um and uh, thank you Ashra for coming on. Uh, thank
1: you so much for having me and thank you for doing this it's really needed and i'm i'm very excited to listen to your
0: podcast yeah awesome um i'll send you the link as soon as it's out um and yeah thank you everyone once again and uh i'll see you next time